Hi, I'm Lynn Davidson, your adulting coach, and it is my extreme pleasure today to introduce Barb Avila, who authored this wonderful book, Seeing Autism, that I call just a great big hug. She gets <laughs> this so well, and she writes about it in such a clear way. It's like you're talking to your best friend, but she's really knowledgeable. <laughs> so it's, it's a wonderful resource, and I highly encourage you all to, to get a copy and read it. And, and maybe even I'm contemplating giving it away for Christmas for a few months. Thank you, Lynn. But I really do believe that this is, the, the, is, is just a great key to put in the door to open up what's, you know, what's really beautiful and complex about mm -hmm. our loved ones who are on the spectrum. So thank you yeah. again, Barbara. And um, I can't I feel to honored to be you. here. Thank you. I could, yeah. So why don't we, um, I, I just love the summary thoughts that you had of, we, we really need to start first with understanding and, and that like is a whole world in and of itself. And it feels like I can mm -hmm. be there for the rest of my life. And then <laughs> the connection. I am, I'm still there. I'm <laughs> still there every day. So yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then the connection piece is all about you know, how do we best, um, how do we create an environment where, where the safety needs are met so that the connection can be made? So the fear factor that really is ever present in our, in our loved ones' lives um, can be at least mitigated somewhat. And then the final thing is to just keep practicing that partnering. That is my mantra now. Okay, we're practicing our partnering over and over again. And Someday, you know, it, it does feel like you don't make any progress today, but I can tell you that the more progress on this one, the more connected mm -hmm. I do feel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it so, takes time. In fact, yeah, and so months. just, just, sorry, Lynn, for people who that's don't know, really that's nice. how, yeah, how, how my book is organized is exactly what you just shared. So I kind of break it down into the first section is understanding, the second section is about connection, and then the last part is how. How do you practice um, some of the things that, yeah, connection and continuing to understand? We were talking before we even went live about just how understanding is a continual process. Yes. So thank you for that summary. Well, it just, it, it really was a wonderfully concise way to get it in my brain. And that's what I'm trying to do is make it, make it stick. And then of course I wrote the summary and it was, I usually only have one column of great ideas but with Barbara's book, I have two columns of, you know, incredibly good ideas that I need to just keep reminding myself of uh, on a daily basis. And they really, they break out into those three categories, but they're just, I, the, my, one of my favorite, well, the one that pops up right now is aim for the window of tolerance between mm -hmm. chaos and rigidity, where we mm -hmm. function without fear. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, that really, I have to give um, credit to Dan Siegel, who Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson, they talk a lot about that in their books, who I also reference in mine. But really just um, the whole idea that people on the autism spectrum or autistic people, as most prefer to be called, are functioning a lot of the time in either a feel state or a feeling of chaos, like everything coming at them all at once, and how they often will manage that is to get really rigid. 
And so there isn't really, you know, that flow in the middle is what we all in life are trying for. But people, um, autistic people may not feel that very often. I had one, yeah. one of the adults that I serve, I was talking about how do I help someone feel safe? And I was asking his advice. And he said, some people may not even know what that means. And so helping someone actually like figure that out, what does it mean to feel safe when I'm not feeling like I have to control the, you know, things that are going to be as predictable as possible? Or how do I get out of feeling that flood and that overwhelm, sensory overwhelm? So what advice did he give you? <laughs> well, he said, really, he said, um, the first thing that he said was, maybe the conversation needs to not be about safety but how do you get out of feeling like you're in danger like what are the things that trigger you what are the things that are making you feel that way and then how can we calm those down so it's just kind of shifting the conversation a little bit to be more concrete which is pretty common for a lot of conversations with autistic individuals is that we just need to be a little bit more overt and concrete about things Overt and concrete. So we're sharing what's going on inside of us as mm -hmm. so that they understand, okay. And the model that I use is, it, I call it the steer model, it, the steer map. And it starts with the situation, the thought, the emotion, the action, and the results. So when mm -hmm. I share with Mark, I say, okay, here's the situation we can all agree on. And mm -hmm. this is my thought. You're not responsible mm -hmm. for that thought. Cause there mm -hmm. was, you know, I often hear, I'm so sorry, you know, from my, from my yeah. lover. And it's yeah. like, no, you're not responsible for what happens inside of me. You didn't mm -hmm. put it in me. I'm responsible yeah. for that part. Mm -hmm. and, and then we talk about, okay, so that makes me act like, you know, that's the emotion it creates and then that's how I act. So that's what you're seeing. And the result is either connection or disconnection. I mean, it pretty much comes down to yeah. that. Well, and, and just that's a beautiful way of talking about it with autistic adults. And I think um, the only addition that I would make, which maybe you already do, but I'm just going to make it over for the audience, too, is to make that visual. Yes. And when I say that, I, I talk a lot about visual conversations now of just have grabbing a, a notebook, a, you know, and just having a conversation that brings the joint attention together. So you both know that you're talking about the same thing and saying, right. hey. You know, yeah, the the thoughts that we have, you have yours here, I have mine here, and just showing that can be so powerful rather than just expecting somebody to auditorily have that picture in their own head. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes. And yeah, even so just writing it down like that. Just like that. When I coach my young adults, I usually have them, I just write down what their thoughts are. And then we walk mm -hmm. through, we say, which one of those is most interesting to you? And we'll walk through that and see what the result in is. is. Is that the result that you intended? As often, oh, nice. yeah. it's not the result that we really wanted to create. Okay, so let's do it again. Yeah. Let's see, is there, with the same situation, is there another way of thinking about it? Because there's like 7.8 billion ways to think about everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have Very our own take. And, and yeah. that's that's why it's perfectly okay to have a thought whatever thought you have you know but we want to practice the ones that work best for connection in the case yeah that we're, we're doing here so yeah the way i also look at that that kind of uh adds to that i think is i actually can't remember if specifically in the book 
I had so much I wanted to write and then yeah. I had to like pare it down. So maybe it'll be the next next book. But anyway, helping somebody uh, with decision making and kind of along the same lines. And I'm going to see if I can connect it for you and for the listeners as much as I have it connected in my head. But oftentimes we'll start trying to solve a problem before we've actually helped the person see it as a problem or help them identify what the problem is for them. We go into our neurotypical way of solving problems or, you know, going into like, this is the situation that these are our thoughts, da, 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 before actually sitting with what is, what is going on and kind of identify. So it was funny because I used to go, oh, okay, we need to do this executive functioning stuff of let's create a plan and then follow through and experiment with it and then try and, um, uh, review it and this kind of cycle. And then I went, wait a second. But if we're doing all that work, the person on spectrum isn't getting experience with even seeing what the problem is or seeing what the problem is for themselves rather than somebody else. Am I making sense? You're making perfect sense because (laughs) what I, what I, the first step is the thought download. The first Mm. step is just tell me what's, what your sent, what sentences are are in your brain. And I just, just scribe, we scribe, we scribe, we scribe. And if I'm not there, I encourage them. If you can't write fast enough, which is the case for yeah. um, for a couple people that I love, um, that just use a otter, which is a way to trans, or even the text, you know, the thing on your phone oh, where you can just talk. To text. Speech to speech text. To text. Uh-huh. Let it scribe for you. Just say it out loud, but let's get yeah. it out loud so then we can together look at it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, your thinking and you can you know and then we can kind of work through that because yeah. if we don't take that first step we're so, like you said we're solving the problem before we even know what it is yeah exactly so, yeah and I have to I have to again one of the things that I love to do is give um, credit to people who've come before me and one mm-hmm. of those people is um, uh, Carol Gray with uh, social stories. And yes. we've gotten away from the original, and a lot of people, probably listeners will know social stories, but we've gotten away from her true intention. Her true intention was exactly what we're talking about, of find out first what is bothering or upsetting or getting in the way for the person at first, and then write the story that's very personal to that situation or that person. We've gotten away from it. Now we have these social stories that are like pre-done and we've done, you know, pre-pictures yeah. and da, da, da. And it's like, wait a second, that may be what the person is struggling with, but it may not be. It may be totally different. It's often when we, when I describe the thoughts that I go, wow, I had no idea that was the take yeah. you had in that particular situation. Yeah. Wow. And there are insights we miss because yeah. they are very insightful people. And Absolutely. Yes. If we don't do that, oh wow, there's a, you know, there's a way of looking because uh, the people I love and a lot of the people that I coach are so sensitive to the other person. They can oh my gosh, that. absolutely. They just can or feel they and they know because they're so attuned to what's yeah. going on. Maybe because of that fear thing or that that danger thing where they're they they're trying to. Ent- I don't know, but they really recognize what's going on. And if I don't well, and I think first, I don't feel like I give them credit. 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, what I hear a lot from people, uh, autistic adults, is, and that I have in the book as well, is imagine if you did have that ability of being able to really be attuned and understand emotions, meaning that you could identify that someone else is having an, a reaction to this or whatever. At the same time, and the same um, kind of priority level as everything else that's coming in, including your own emotions, including your own sensory experiences, the tag on the back of your shirt, the, the lights in the room, all coming in at once, you're going to just be flooded. And yeah. so kind of there's there's two choices that I feel like so many autistic people have is either totally shut down and just go, I give up, I can't do it, or to be just hyper vigilant all the time and being able to try and connect all those dots at the same time, which I can only imagine how exhausting that would be. Mm -hmm. And so what you have is then you have, you know, this exhaustion that ends up in what's called autistic burnout, where Mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. I can't pretend and try and mask or camouflage or try and manage all of that all at once. Which totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, imagine that. And it's just because the brain they got in the genetic lottery. I mean, it's the way it is. Or I don't know, maybe the way it developed, which was also very helpful. When I finally unread your just so very kind description of why this comes about in infancy, where the disconnects Mm -hmm. happen and then the differences, you know, the missed opportunities creating the cascading effect. Wow. It was like, oh, I get it now. (laughs) Yeah, that came out of, I mean, I'm kind of a research geek. So I just love like any research having to do with autism and the brain and the, you know, what 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 does happen and how. I mean, really, it started with me being super, super curious on just different processing that I was seeing, like just processing sensory information differently was just fascinating to me. But then what would happen is that I was going, hey, wait a minute. Okay, so all of this research is saying that we need to be focusing on, I mean, all this research is saying that children, infants are having trouble with attention shifting, this joint attention piece that I talk about in the book um, that is really early stuff. But then when we get into service later, we're like working on all these other skill development things. We're like, we lose that. And how many people have I talked to who I say, do you know what the core issues of autism are? They have no idea, even though they've been diagnosed for years. I'm like, oh, no, there's a, there's a huge disconnect. Why aren't we targeting some of this? What really is getting in the way for, for adults on spectrum? Yeah. <laughs> this joint okay. attention piece. <laughs> yeah. I love the ladies who do the three ice creams and the, and the sprinkles on top, and I can't do it justice. But they explain the three core features, and then, okay, there can also be these things. And I wish I could. Ah, I don't know that one. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know that one. Describe it. Ah, can you? Well, yeah, you can help me because what are the three? Okay. So first I know that there's the sensory, you know, integration, the sensory processing is one scoop. And there, they argue that that could be bigger or smaller, you know, depending on who you are and what kind of brain mm-hmm. you got. All right. So the second thing is going to be what? The social interaction, the social piece. Is that it? Help me. I I go to exactly what it has to be um, present for someone to receive the diagnosis and to be, believe it or not, sensory is not actually one of them. (laughs) 
it's sort of one of one them okay because there's two so i would have two scoops on my ice cream cone with the sprinkles on top i would have um so social reciprocity so difficulty with the back and forth right Mm -hmm. having to do with so social engagement is maybe just kind of awkward or struggle altogether right so that's where the the spectrum comes but that's where we learn so much about how whatever what somebody else is thinking about et cetera et cetera so that's the first scoop the second scoop is the um uh restricted or repetitive behaviors or interests and that's where the sensory often will come in right so somebody will get really uh rigid or have sensory experiences that then make them have um, repetitive behaviors and things like that as a coping skill as a coping strategy as a coping skill yeah 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 to yes to cope with the sensory sensitivities for example yes or to cope also with the not understanding the back and forth social reciprocity so i think they're really intertwined oh it's all yeah it all ends up melted in the in the ice cream cup. Yeah, it yeah. it's all, it's all <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get this out there. Um, but is the third piece the anxiety? Because that to me mm. is just in club that 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 just that the amygdala, you know, the amygdala just gets triggered. And and how we talk to ourselves, do we listen to that, you know, ticker tape of thoughts? that are being presented to help keep us safe, help keep us um, um, manage our energy and help keep us in the social group, you know, not exactly. Yeah. You know, but then there's our prefrontal who's trying to tell us, make a good decision, make a plan, whatever. And how do we decide to tune into something? And boy, I tell you, when, when you're scared, all you do is see that ticker tape of warning, 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 going across your, it's here. Well, and autistic individuals can see that a mile away, that Mm. coming. And so sometimes they'll shut down before it's even like, oh, I just know that that is not going to be manageable for me. So I'm going to shut down. Or I'm going to say no. Right, right. (laughs) No, we used to sing that. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You knew it was coming. And then, um, you know, as we got old, as, as, as my kids are now all over 20, um, we would just, we just go, okay, well, I expect that now. I expect yeah. that reactions. And then you just walk as slowly a pace as the other person can tolerate. You try to rush things, whew, that kicks you. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I also, I don't know um, if this was the experience for you, but no is often much, comes much sooner just developmentally than yes for Uh, autistic individuals in particular and if you think about it it's like no shuts things like the unpredictability down right no is very predictable it's i'm done i'm out so it's predictable it's safe etc yes is like opening yourself up for okay what's going to happen next like i don't know like if i or even saying goodbye versus hello goodbye is first because goodbye i'm out of (laughs) here versus hello is an invitation to, okay, what else are you going to ask me? What else are we going to do? What else are we going to, which is all unpredictable in social interactions? Yeah. So back to your, your thought though is yes, anxiety comes, I mean, almost hand in hand. It's almost 
I do have clients that don't have anxiety also, but it's very rare. It's very rare. Yeah. And when I, even when I say that, it's not that they don't have anxiety. It's just that they don't have it as pervasive all the time. Right. Cause right. we all, we all have anxiety. I shouldn't say, you know, yeah, so, we all, we all yeah. manifest that fear. That's not hard. That's hardwired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. let's get to a question here. We, um, yeah. you know, and if anybody would like to, you know, place a question in the chat box, I promise that I will look for it. I don't see, oh, love that point. No, shut down unpredictability down. Yeah, Jane is contributing, and I really appreciate hearing from you all. So please send some some questions in, but here are those that were one that was submitted ahead of time. On page 73, you describe dysregulation as not being the time to return to the flag. I love that, return to the flag. <laughs> to reflect on situations, you know, in order for new learning to take place. But, Monica asks, I feel more often than not that even when we're in a calm space, returning to that situation with, their, with her autistic young adult, starts the dysregulation process all over again. And, mm -hmm. you know, they become angry and defensive. So she feels caught in this vicious cycle, you know, where people mm -hmm. just, you know, we're just not learning together. So how do we get yeah. out of that cycle? That's an excellent question. So first, like I said, I like to give credit to other people. So return to the flag is um, actually the way that one of the moms that I, I work with described it when I was talking about, you know, that concept and I just loved it. So I have to give her credit. <laughs> um, but it's a really great question that I actually I hear a lot. I feel I hear really frequently and um, I'd actually like to take a step back and consider that someone who's not always feeling heard or seen may develop habits to shut down conversations even before they get started. So um, really, I mean, I'm gonna jump into recommendation for the sake of time is that I'd, um, I'd work on connection and building trust with someone that you'll yeah. listen without judgment and just to connect with them um, as they are and not just pushing or challenging them all the time. Because I do hear from autistic adults a lot, is like, I'm not even going to come out of my room because every time I come out of my room, they're asking me, what did you do today? What did you do, blah, 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 right? Instead of just, hey, what were you reading? And let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about that special interest that you have in anything from politics to Legos to whatever it is. Let's talk about that and just to really connect first, because if they think that you're always going to come and at them with something, they're not going to be open to that. So um, you very specifically, you may wish to even assign yourself a goal of connecting just because at least 10 minutes per day. I often give like this little like just for yourself, say, am I have I done that today? 10 minutes per day without an agenda. And you might have to do that for like two weeks. And yeah. then return to that to-do list for change. But don't lose sight of having that connection time every day. Because all of us need that, right? We all need to be seen. Look. I have to train myself to do that. Yeah, the scene. <laughs> it was four years ago, and my son was in a depression dip, and I was worried about him. So we started taking walks together every day at 5 o'clock. And awesome. I had to train myself to stop 
suggesting, advising, and criticizing. I call it, I had to stop sacking him. And mm -hmm. boy, did I bite my tongue a lot of times. And I sure yeah. made enough mistakes when something would come up and I would just be all at him, like, you can't do, you have to. And I just, it, I had to teach myself to stop. Yeah, and I get a lot of people who are like, well, fine, am I just supposed to let go and never have right, any of these right. expectations? And that's not that. what I'm saying. No, <laughs> I guess I'm saying, no. yeah. yeah, I'm saying in order to get to those, somebody has to be seen first. Yeah. They have to be feel valued. They have to feel like they have a say when, you know, and personal agency, which I talk about in the book as well, of being um, in order to be a part of that conversation about making things better in the future, which is that, you know, returning to the flag. So good. Well, Frank made a comment in the in the chat. Could we talk about no coming from a lack of trust and yes, leading to something good? Yeah, absolutely. No is, you know, I like how he said that is the, the lack of trust. And it's interesting because it's a lack of trust, not only in the other person, but also in themselves to be able to handle something that is coming at them from that they don't feel like they can handle um, even neurologically, confidence level. Yeah. yeah, that's when I get the short chirps. I know that something's going on. Yes, mm -hmm. no, maybe the short chirps. And it's just mm -hmm. the, the, just a lack of confidence plus a lack mm -hmm. of trust. I think that's yeah. really good too. Oh, Frank says, I misread his statement. The lack of oh. trust is that yes never leads to something good. Hmm. Thanks, Frank, for clarifying. So the lack of trust is that yes never leads to something good. So that's a fear, it must be, right? That if if you do so yes, that it's that it, it nothing good's gonna come out of it. Well, and I'll take that a little bit further, and I'd be curious what Frank has to say is that um yes leads to unpredictability, and unpredictability mm -hmm. is what never leads to feelings of confidence, trust. It feels that flood, that chaotic, the feelings of um, not being able to handle it. And so not leading to anything good. I say, yes, it's unpredictable. It never leads anywhere good. So I'm going to stay in the safety zone of saying no and having things be more predictable. And yet here's my part. Here's the part that really concerns me and that is that we grow when we're uncomfortable yeah and so we have to figure out how to feel the feeling anyway yep there's a book a long time ago feel the fear and do it anyway that <laughs> great title but yeah I, and and so i try to teach you know well you you know if we can just drop into our body and recognize that it's a vibration caused by a chemical that was hmm. So yep. stimulated by our brain, you know, can we just describe it? Can we act like, and then, you know, I try to teach that the feel, the feeling piece. I sometimes worry that I'm asking too much, you know, because mm -hmm. of the sensory processing, it's just like they're on fire when they feel that yeah. feeling. Well, and I think that's an excellent question to ask. Am I, am I asking too much? Because it isn't about whether or not you challenge, it's about how much you challenge and how you challenge and how because how how some of us neurotypical neuro, we're all neurodiverse I'm not quite sure I know that some people are moving away from neurotypical so I want to be um, 
yeah. respectful of that. I'm actually not like sure. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so awkward with some of these words, isn't it? There just aren't. Yeah, but um, but non-autistic. Our experience um, is. Uh, oh, I lost my train of thought when I started thinking about the different words. Um, sorry, uh, I lost it. We can. Say yeah, I know it happens to me too. <laughs> well, Frank just said um, that the lack of trust comes from a lifetime of experience. Also, to your new yeah, topic, definitely. I've found that things often don't get better with experience. Mm. Okay, so that reminded me what I was going to say. Good. So, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we as non-autistics feel is a challenge may be way too much for somebody who is autistic right because we we process things differently so um we may be thinking it's just um let me use a really concrete example i just had somebody a couple weeks ago say doing laundry to us feels like one task oh just do your laundry just get it done what's the big deal put it in the wash blah, blah, blah. But to somebody who has autism, it feels like 50 tasks. You have to collect the, the laundry that you need, what's dirty, what's not, might even be three tasks right there. In addition to then getting it downstairs or, you know, to the apartment complexes, you know, whatever, to putting it in the laundry, da, 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 right? So just that like to think about what we're asking of just do laundry has a really different experience for somebody so breaking those down into okay you do just this part and then i'll help you with the rest like i'll partner with you with the rest might be the challenge that that person needs rather than just do laundry because sometimes you just have to do things that are hard you following me Yes. Well, in fact, that's how I get out of overwhelm is I break the task down to the very first step. And I teach yeah. that a lot about, you know, when we're trying to get things done. It's okay. What's the next best thing I can do here? That's gonna, mm -hmm. and, and that has helped me incredibly. So mm -hmm. I can, and I'm trying to use that as often as I can, you know, mm -hmm. where it's okay. Well, if, if you're not up for the whole kit and caboodle, let's just start with the first step. Yeah, and sometimes also even just saying, um, you get started and then I'll help you. Or like, I think we think it either has to be them or us. Like you have no. to do it on your own and independent. Yeah. And so I, I support a lot of parents in saying, well, you know, for example, like room cleaning is a common one. Um, if, you know, if it's not clean by Friday evening, I'll help you clean it on Saturday morning. Because then if somebody has doesn't even know how to where to start with cleaning their room or is overwhelmed by it, then they have your help. If somebody is like, nope, I got it because I don't want you in my space, yeah. I'll have it clean by Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So we were it's a win-win. <laughs> asking, do you have any ideas as to how we can teach one's adult son with autism that they have personal agency, respecting mm. his work? and slowing down, canceling online classes if he wants to, maybe. Mm. Yes. In fact, that's the whole core of what my course is about, because we go through the 10 domains and we start with where they are. 
we just yeah. know exactly where they are and, and we remind them of all the stuff they've already created. And then we just start with, okay, what are just the basic things that we do and the fundamentals first, let's identify mm -hmm. those. What are the things we do even when we're not having a good day? And then, okay, what do we want to do the level up next? And wow, that whole personal agency piece, I find, um, you know, these life plans that people put together and whatever. And I don't know, we were just reviewing that with our um, OPWDD people. And it was like, so overwhelmed. It just, so we just have a short list. <laughs> it's just a list with just mm -hmm. a couple books on it. And you don't always have to level up. You can just stay where you are. That's fine. But that personal yeah. piece is so important. Well, and I think that um, I'd like to expand on that a little bit because we learn personal agency within interactions really early in development. Autism is a developmental delay of exactly that. And so what ends up happening is that people, autistics are often in this mode for many years of just having to comply or having to follow the rules of school and but that also means that everybody else is making decisions for them right they're getting cued to do things they get it they have to go to school they have to do this they have to do that which is actually true for non-autistics as well right that then this shift into adulthood where you have to make your own decisions is hard for everyone but if you're going zero to 60 because you've been cued all this time and don't have the resources of being able to have personal agency to make decisions for yourself, that's a huge ask, huge. And so again, I'm going to say back to giving personal agency in just these little everyday um, experiences and getting practice with that is going to actually help with a person realizing that they have choice in which class, course class, uh, college class that they can take. But it has to be this in the little moments of getting practice with that for someone to feel it and then be able to recognize it in a list or whatever that, oh, hey, this is your truly your choice because they haven't understood what that means in general. Right, right, because they've been cued. Or like yeah. say the structure's already been there and now the structure's gone and yeah. the mom and the dad and the you know young adult are trying to figure out what's next and so we ask them these questions well what do you want and they look at us like that is a scary question <laughs> yeah very scary. or they don't even look at you like that and just assume like well but that isn't my choice or you know so it's not even this kind of aha moment of like well i don't know because some people will say well you you decide it's your decision or even get mad. Why isn't this being done for me? It's been done for me all this time. So it can get it into, you know, some yeah. <laughs> debate. Of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. Such a good question. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for that question. Now I got to get my, I didn't realize this iPad was going to like make it hard. Okay. Here we go. Um, Another question, how, this, uh, how do we help people with autism understand and take different perspectives? Mm. 
So you can't, yeah, you can, uh, let's see. Most often stating what you're, what you think is, what you think might be overt, but actually might be more subtle cues. So taking somebody else's perspective is really reading subtle cues about what's going on for them, right? So we're, again, going straight to the heart of the hardest part for somebody on the autism spectrum. So I hear frequently that parents of adult autistic children should just know that they should help out, for example, around the house and um, notice when the dishes are in the sink. So that's taking someone else's perspective, right? I've been working all day. You should just know right, that you should do the dishes. <laughs> um, and then the, the the parents take it incredibly personally that the person is not noticing Look and not taking I'm that. Doing for you. Look at what yeah. I provide this beautiful yeah. home and you, and you borrow my car and I've gotten you into, you know, and, and the least you can do, right? Yep. Isn't that what we exactly. go to the thought? Yep. <laughs> exactly. Take out the kitty litter or whatever, you know, change the kitty yeah. litter or... And and the autistic person's is ah mom so well <laughs> yeah exactly and so actually um, commonly what I see is just even having a conversation about it and stating of that now you're an adult and you need to start pulling your weight around the house and what that means so you know you're not working so but you're an adult so you need to be paying rent now you don't have money so what will that look like it might be that you need to do more chores to instead of, you know, and help out with dishes and things like that to be a good housemate in case you're going to move out at some point or just in lieu of paying rent, right? And what the beautiful thing though is that we make these assumptions about autistic adults that they don't care, but when you make it overt, they're like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense, okay. Yes. That's what I found <laughs> is when we break it down and when we look at each part, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what you expect. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's and that's fair. Nothing. We start. Yeah, because exactly, you know, it's a big topic. It's a big topic, and it we it just is. have to break it down. We have yeah. to break it down, and by giving mm-hmm. them a structure that they can carry throughout their whole life, even when we're gone, that's mm-hmm. mutually you know, that, that is comprehensive and, and they mm-hmm. practice, that's your practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I feel like I, at least I'm giving them, you know, the best I know. So yeah. Um, somebody just asked, are we getting uh, a replay? And the answer is yes, you will get sent a replay as long as you have signed up. Because if I don't have your email address, I can't send it to you. <laughs> so, Can people still sign up even afterwards? I will post the replay as well. I'll post it here on this, on this um, Facebook page as well. So, yes. So um, I have another one. Thank you for all that. Thank you, Lynn, for all that management. That's a lot. Oh, it it was, it's a learning. I'm going up the learning curve with everybody else. (laughs) Jenny asks, are there any ideas on how to deal with setbacks with guilt without going into negative self-talk? Yes. This is a really good Mm. question. Yeah, because I, I just see, I feel like I see a lot of shame talk, you know, happening with my, the people that I love. It's just ha- the autistic people that I love. It, it's like I don't deserve or, or I'm so bad at this or a lot of shame mm-hmm. talk happens. 
So what do we do? How do we help them deal with those setbacks? Without well, it's interesting because when you first read the question, I thought I was thinking more from the parent's perspective. Like, how do you deal with setbacks, even like if somebody shuts down? Yeah. And um, but so I like it from both directions, actually. Right. So the first, I think I'll I'll take both if that's okay. So hmm. from the parent's perspective, seeing shutdowns or um, autistic burnout or as not as a setback, but as a um, needing to uh, have processing time, um, kind of shifting timeframes, right? As it's not, because it's not usually a regression of skill. It is just a need to shut down, to regroup, to kind of uh, re-regulate before then being able to try something again. And so that's <clears throat> one thing is just to reframe it a little bit. And maybe it is about helping the person on spectrum also to reframe it in that way. That it's not, you know, that because a lot of times um, autistic individuals are being held to non-autistic standards. Yes. Yes. And yes. by themselves as well. Yes. So helping someone with autism understand that their processing is different and respecting that. And sometimes it's super, most of the time it, their processing is super cool. And we need so many more people who process differently in this mm -hmm. world than what we have today. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and having those conversations and helping somebody realize that it isn't, it isn't actually a setback, but it is that all, everything we were talking about earlier, it's anxiety. It's, you know, just needing to take things in manageable chunks and steps. It's respecting your own regulation so that your prefrontal cortex can work at its best so that you can make decisions. Sometimes you need to take a little bit like taking a walk in the woods being, you know, or just hiding under the covers for an hour, you know, helping that person figure out what is it that helps them reset. For me, I am a 20 minute napper in the middle of the day. If I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and I'm like, I'm like, where is my 20 minutes that I will lay down and just reset and be ready to go. Right back but, at it. Yeah, but that's me being non-autistic, right? So mm -hmm. somebody with autism may, might need to pace and think about their favorite topic for two hours. Oh, yeah. Somebody else might need to organize their schedule to have that be where they take appointments only Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or they work Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So they have Tuesday, Thursday to yes. just sh do yes. what they need to yes. do or mm. whatever. So I think the conversation is not is probably with that person of who's feeling that setback or feeling less, you know, making statements about I'm so horrible, I should be able to do this and reframing the conversation to how can you do it if you're taking care of your own regulation? And and Jenny, I would also um, encourage just describing whatever comes down, whatever comes out of their head. Just go mm -hmm. ahead and write it down. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm not as good enough. I really blew that. You know, whatever. Write it down. And then when we set it down and we say, okay, these are the thoughts that your brain is offering you. Which of these are you going to choose? You know, do you want to believe them? Uh, do you not want to, what do you want to do with them? Right. Cause you have mm -hmm. choice. You know, we go back to the Victor Frankl that, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, man's search for meaning is that there's that mm -hmm. space where we can choose if we want to continue that thought or not. 
And that, I, I just try to hand back that power to my kids, you know, to my loved ones that, um, and not just kids. <laughs> well, I, th I think that's a really good point. I think a lot of people, autistic or not, don't realize that we don't have to be slaves to our thoughts, mm -hmm. that we can actually change them. And I think that is that if if someone, if you can have a conversation with some with an autistic per person and help them understand that, that they have that control over their own thoughts and and think through what are alternatives. That's awesome. You know, it's just sort of an amazing part of being human is that we've got this brain offering us thoughts, but we also can watch our brain offering us thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's just a miracle that we have that capacity. And, and the more we access that watcher, the more comfortable we are deciding, you know, or just watching it. Oh, like clouds floating across the sky. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still there. I'm the sun behind the clouds. But here are these clouds. And do I want to pay attention or not? It's it, I find it to be a really great discussion when I have that with the people that I love. So back well, to yeah. question too. Oh, but, so go ahead. Oh, I just, I think that more often than not, more often than not, autistic adults and teenagers are, are who are verb, uh, reliably verbal or however we want, ever we want to say it, or using a communication device of some sort to let us know, are way more insightful about oh. their own processing than we give credit. Absolutely. I'm always, every day I'm blown Absolutely. away at just how much more insightful they they commonly are than how I think about things on a daily basis, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a lot to learn there, for there sure. Is, for sure. I have many goosebump moments with my, it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm so amazed. <laughs> yeah. When I'm we have a lot to learn. We have so much <laughs> from adults. Yeah, we yeah. Do. yeah, yeah, we sure do. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can just be a sponge. So Becca says, our teenage child with autism expresses regularly that they don't have empathy or morals. This has come up in some of my sessions too, the, the lack of being able to feel. They express worry that they are a bad person because they don't feel things the way that other members of the family do, connection. They don't feel that connection. That's a tough one, Becca. I appreciate you putting that one up there. So I think the question is how to help someone recognize that they do feel, but in a different way and value that. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because it isn't that, um, I mean, really that's back to everyone processing differently Right. And so but the the teenager is getting upset that they don't feel and they're not as empathetic as other people um, or morals, she says, too. Moral. Oh, morals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, I mean, that's not an easy answer. I think that the conversations would need to start around how people do detect those how do you, I mean, it's back to being overt. Like, how do any of us do it, right? Usually it's by reading somebody's nonverbal cues. Okay, well, then let's practice that. And what does that mean? And is that something that you want to practice? Because maybe it's really that she's feeling, that person, that teen is feeling lonely. 
and doesn't know how to connect with other friends at school and is being told that you, you know, even by other people, well, you lack empathy, you don't read. So it could be just practicing how do you make friends or finding the community that will work better for you. How do you connect with other people who also process empathy or process connections in similar ways that you do? So connecting with more people with autism. Mm -hmm. Or somebody that has a common interest. Or um, someone who has a common interest. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot with one of my, um, one of the people that I love, they do that online and they just, you know, will be on that for four hours and it's the topic yeah. is, you know, is something that brought them together and yet now they've mm -hmm. created a community around that. The other thought that I might have, Rebecca, is just to offer to um, your child that morals are really beliefs, which are really thoughts that we just practice over and over again until we believe that they are true, right? That it's, that, um, you know, um, an eye for an eye is a moral fan, but we, we reject that. But it used to be, and it still can be, a, a, you know, a moral thought in a part of different parts of the world. Um, or that's a bad example because it's a negative example, but another one, do unto others, as we would mm -hmm. have, have them do unto you, is um, a collection of thoughts that that mm -hmm. reciprocity is, we, you know, we need to have that reciprocity. So um, they're just a collection of, belief, of thoughts that we all believe to be true. So let's keep watching those thoughts and I'll bet you that your teenage child does have both empathy and um, morals. I'll bet they're there. We just have to notice it and help them um, help reinforce it and help them see it and position it in a way that makes sense to them. Well, and I also find that sometimes people on Spectrum don't necessarily know how to ask questions. Yeah. And so there's a good chance that, that that teenager is asking, what are morals? What are our family morals? What 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 is empathy? How do people understand empathy? And so if I ask a lot of families to start having conversations about family morals. That's usually where we get a lot of them, right? And so even having, if you have dinner together, what's what I what's something we did to, today that matches our morals today? What are morals? Like, and that could be a little ritual that you have predictable every night. What's something you did? And you write it down on a piece of paper and I did this today, you know, or, you know, I don't know. I'm getting into like ideas for practice, but um, just sometimes we think statements are statements when they're actually questions. So there's a good yeah. chance that that teenager is actually asking, I'm feeling lonely. People are telling me that I don't lack empathy. What is that? And morals. What is that? Because those are big questions for any teenager. And they're so appropriate. So age appropriate. Yeah, for totally. And young adults who are trying to navigate, okay, yeah. how am I going to go out into the work world and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and navigate this? And it's scary as heck. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So these are so, such good questions. So please keep Such answering. good questions. Such yeah. Good. Please keep, we've got just a few, we've got about 10 more minutes. So I'm going to give you another one. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh -oh, no. It went to a different place. No, why did you do that to me? <laughs> right. Uh-oh. Uh, no, that's not it either. Hold on. I'll find the next question. Um, I think I know what it is, but it's going to take me a minute to just, just a second. Hopefully not. There it is. Where are the questions? There it is. Okay. 
think this is a good one. Um, I, at my school, we have a small classroom of high-functioning adults, or high-functioning students. Yes. They're mm -hmm. sometimes mainstreamed into the gen ed room for various mm -hmm. subjects that they excel at, which I think is great. But I still don't feel that those students mix that well. Mm -hmm. So um, yet they need each other, you know, They're, they can contribute so much. So is there any way of helping to create that, you know, so that there is more inclusivity, in, in, you know, with, with those groups? The first thing that I do have to say is that um, instead of using high functioning, I and autistics ask us to use something like seemingly less impacted or their autism may not be as obvious to those around them because often they're struggling or masking more than we realize and they may not feel like they're high functioning because they may crash and be unable to function at all at times. Yes. So I just want to put that little call out. Um, for that, for that, because a lot of uh, um, parents really appreciate it when I just kind of reframe like this is what I'm hearing. And this is, you know, for wording, because a lot of parents want to be super respectful. So that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to the question. So when students are verbal, which I'm guessing that these students are, we tend to let go of visual support. And um, we rely on auditory, which then again, you know, like we were talking about earlier, and I say in my book is that auditory can just be a lot of it be like, bleh, <laughs> yeah. in addition to everything else going on. And so visual support can be amazing, not for understanding, which is what we think that visuals are for, but just for bringing in that joint attention. Joint. And so even having a joint piece of paper between mm -hmm. uh, students who are working together is, brings the joint attention. So it could simply be like, this is the question that we're answering together and being able to jot down ideas, like each person jotting down ideas. Things like that could just be super helpful for bringing the, yeah. where, you know, that joint attention. Yeah. And so a lot of times it's about finding accommodations that are going to bring that and then letting it flow because, you know, autistic people often want to engage and can just fine, but they can't get started or they need that accommodation. And we make all these Thanks. assumptions Perfect. that they need all these additional skills when often it's just that they just need to be kind of supported to be in that moment. <laughs> yes, together. Yes. And mm -hmm. that's where when I split my screen and we share it and I write down what they're thinking. We talk about the concepts and I bring in, oh, and look at this book over here. And that one, it yeah. just seems to help us focus um, and together exactly. and progress together. And I can get the insights that I need. But let me tell you, those things didn't happen overnight. That we just had to keep experimenting. And I love, there's a part in here where you talk about failure is just part of the process. Can you mm -hmm. highlight that again? Because I think that's really important. Well, the part I'm gonna highlight is not just that failure for the person on spectrum, but failure for us in supporting them. I feel that. Is, mm -hmm. And that that I mean, kind of the way I like to think about it is that um, we still need to be strong guides for somebody in our lives who has autism, who is seeking that guidance or is in our home still for guidance. Um, but. If we're not if we're not pushing some, we're not and failing going over that edge, then we're not pushing hard enough. 
but if we're if we're doing it all the time we're also failing and we're so it has to you have to find this balance but so i don't know if that makes sense but i think that failure is really important for i mean really all of us right we learn through failure we learn how to invent new ways of doing that our decision making comes out of failure this didn't work so how what else can i do to to try that again but we have to be able to help people on spectrum fail in ways that work for them that don't put them over the edge don't make them feel like they are failures as people that just they're failing in this little moment but they have the decision making and the confidence and the ability to work through it yes and that takes the practice that takes the connection and practice that we're talking about and it's not a fast process so yeah it's not a oh we'll do this tomorrow and that person will be like well it's you know somebody has to build up that trust that confidence that um feelings those feelings that they can manage in unpredictable situations yes that pace that they have we have to help them find the pace that works best for them mm-hmm. and absolutely it's sure so is, much about pacing it's all uh, yeah a lot of it's about pacing yeah yeah and then the fundamentals of getting enough sleep which is a whole nother yeah. topic. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right and moving because yeah the, the, i don't know if we have time for this last concept here but um I found that when I when I get dysregulated, that it really helps me to move or do something physical, even mm-hmm. if it's just unfocusing my eyes, focusing on breathing through my nose and smiling. Something to reset my body physically really helps. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've you've practiced that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we can't take our way out of every situation. It's not just a brain thing. Folks, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, I try to. Yeah, about the brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to call out that the the person who is supporting someone with autism needs to do that for themselves first. So, um, because um, autism is all, often a difficulty with regulation, and they're going to need to borrow yours. And so, if you're guiding them and you're dysregulated, they're going to borrow your dysregulation. If you are regulated, more likely they're going to borrow your regulation, which is actually how it happens in typical development, is co-regulation first to then learn how to regulate on your own. Um, Yeah, but all the time, I mean, that's, it's, I think a lot of people on spectrum and a lot of people in our society today are in their brains all the time and like thinking, and we're not in our bodies anymore and trying to make that connection that and again, making it overt, doing a drawing of how much, um, I mean, there's so much there. We could have a whole nother conversation about polyvagal theory and all, everything about that is supporting the, the body. But talking to adults on spectrum about how the calming your body can calm your brain. It's kind of a miracle. The way it, it is all a works. miracle. And even sometimes that's just sitting down. I know you talked about moving, but even sitting down can calm your system from being in fight or flight. I mean, we started this conversation about chaos or rigidity and trying to find the flow and how just even, um, yeah, moving your body or sitting can get you more in the flow. And it's all about experimentation. Everybody's different. My way of calming my system is not gonna be the same way as somebody else comes. I was talking just to a teenager the other day 
about all of this. And she says, oh, you mean like fidgets? And I was like, oh, totally. Yeah. Like, and I have my fidgets, you know, right here that I play with. And she goes, oh, let me see them. And, and she was, um, she decided that Velcro was her fidget, but she doesn't have any right now. And so she's in a situation, she's in a, um, Anyway, she's in a situation where she had to ask an adult in her living situation for that. And they were like, oh, sure. So it's yep. just little things like that to get the get someone into their body to feel to, um, yeah, out of their head so much. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I had a, um, uh, one of my children as a baby would finger the side at the edge of the baby blanket and they still Aww. have it 30. 30 something years later. I mean, it just wow. was so cool. yeah. the baby so soothing. just doing that with her hands. And so right there is a great example of how she regulates, um, how it helps her regulate. Yeah. Yeah. And we, all have, we all have whatever works for us, right? That's what absolutely. We, we just cannot give up until we figure that out. What works And that's kind us. of back to the little failure learning mm -hmm. to like try something out and it doesn't work. Okay. Well, let's try something else. Right. We're either succeeding or learning. I've, you know, heard that. Yeah. 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 Where, um, yeah, it, it's too true. Very true. Well, thanks again. I think we're at the end of our hour and I could do this for four. <laughs> I know. I think so too. It's been so enjoyable chatting with you, Lynn. <laughs> oh, I'm learning from you because you just are a font of wisdom. That, um, well, you are as well. Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm still getting up that learning curve and I'm, I'm just delighted to be there because this is a passion and breaks, you know, it's right, right in there. We have six kids and several are on the spectrum. Wow. So, yeah. So That's a full it, house. Yeah. Well, not all of them live here anymore. <laughs> Two out of six are still home. So, uh -huh. yeah. And it, it's just been, um, it's such, it's just been such a rich life as a result. So maybe That's we'll wonderful. be able to have you on again at another point. So, um, oh, I sure. Yeah, happy to. Thanks. Thank you for this. Very informative. Thanks. So we're getting lots of great feedback. I really appreciate it very much. Good, good. I just wanted to mention that people can find my book anywhere, not just on Amazon. You can find it if you want to support your local bookstore. I um, uploaded it to Ingram Spark, which pushes it out to all of those different places. Um, and then I also have a podcast. Yes. That goes a little bit deeper on some of the concepts that I covered today and in the book that um, is Synergy Autism Podcast, if anybody wants to hear it that way. so Great. And you can always find me at um, www. You have to put that part in the front. Lynn, C as in coach, Davison.com. Awesome. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much, so much Lynn. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate you. All righty. <laughs> you too. Back Take at you. Bye for now. Bye.